following is the final part of our series looking at covenant theology. We hope that this series has been helpful for you. We hope you enjoy. So, tonight what we're going to be doing is we've been going through the covenants of the Bible all semester, and tonight we get to the last one, which has been a culmination up to this point, and the New Covenant, which we're going to study tonight from Jeremiah 31, sums up the rest of the covenants and gives us something to look forward to. Before we jump into our passage and our topic tonight, I do want to pray for us and ask the Lord to be at work. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for this time that we can come together. We do thank you for this study, Lord, and how we've looked at your promises that you've made throughout time to many different people and how it's really been the same promise that you've been showing to us. And I ask that you would work in us as we look at the new covenant tonight. Help us to see the beauty of the forgiveness of sins that we have in Jesus. And I pray that you would help us to all leave here better because we've spent time studying this. And I pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. So I want you to imagine a puzzle in your head. Does anybody like doing puzzles? You should like doing puzzles. Puzzles are fun. So I want you to picture this puzzle in your head. The pieces are not yet put together. And you're slowly putting this puzzle together. But the problem is that there's not a picture on the puzzle. It's just a blank. It's just like blank, white, blank, black, blue, whatever. Pick a color, okay? You can still put those pieces together. It's a little bit harder. And in the end, the more you put them together, you see that there is a picture and it's just the same thing. And that's kind of what the covenants have been doing. As we've been putting these pieces together, we're getting the full picture of the covenants working together like a puzzle. It may not be like a landscape that you're used to, It may not be whatever kind of puzzles you do. I don't know what kind of puzzles you do. But all of those pieces have been working together to give us this full picture of what the covenants have been pointing towards. They all have been working together to create this beautiful masterpiece of God's promises. The original hearers who are in exile, when we get to Jeremiah 31 tonight, they have been waiting for a time of restoration. They've been waiting for these covenants to play out. They've longed for a time when they could return home. They've been given God's covenantal promises numerous times. Yet they're still waiting. They're still waiting for this puzzle to be completed for them. So the new covenant that we're going to study tonight. So by the time we get to Jeremiah 31, God establishes a new covenant. And we're going to talk about what that word new means and what it doesn't mean in just a second. But when we get this new covenant... The New Covenant is preparing the way for a Messiah to come and fulfill every single promise that has been promised in all of those covenants. They're waiting for someone who's going to inaugurate this covenant by washing away our sins. And that completed puzzle for the people of Israel and Judah is going to make its fullest sense when Jesus comes on the scene. So, tonight, the New Covenant is the culmination of all the covenant promises and is found in Jesus. The new covenant is the culmination of all of the covenant promises and is found in Jesus. And Luke's going to come up and read Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, 
and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. Awesome. All right, so in the context of the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a big book, and chapters 30 to 33 serve as kind of a summary of what the entire book of Jeremiah is about. Israel is about to be exiled. Jeremiah is prophesying about judgment that's going to come, that they're going to experience at the hand of other nations. However, this section gives us a sense of hope as to what they should be looking forward to. These three chapters summarize everything that's going on in the life of those people. And he says the days are coming. So this new covenant, it's arriving. It's coming onto the scene. This phrase, this is interesting, this phrase, the days are coming, is used 15 times in the entire book of Jeremiah. Five times are used just in this section. So Jeremiah is really trying to hammer home the point that something big is about to happen for you. In the midst of your exile, in the midst of your sadness, God's about to do something great and extraordinary. So the new covenant, okay, this word pairing, new covenant, is used one time in the entire Old Testament. Right here. This is big. This is huge. The term that's used here, it can be a little confusing because when we hear new covenant, we think of what? When you hear the word new, you think of it as opposed to old. But the word here is actually more in the lines of something like something fresh, like a fresh reminder. You can think of this as a fresh reminder of this covenant. It's not detached from the previous covenants. It's not different than the previous covenants. It offers the fullest picture of all of those covenants. However, it is slightly different, and Jeremiah addresses that in verse 32 when he says, this covenant is not like the covenant that I made with their fathers. And what he's speaking of here is the Mosaic covenant, which we studied a few weeks ago, the giving of the law, the giving of the Ten Commandments. It's not like it, but it is related to it. And the way it's related to it is that the Mosaic covenant, God physically gave his people the law. And what does he tell his people here in the New Covenant? What is he going to do with his law? In the Mosaic Law, he physically handed it to them. In the New Covenant, he's going to put it where? Go back and read it. What does it say? What? Within them. Within them. He's going to place it in their hearts. So at the Mosaic Covenant, he handed them a tablet. In the New Covenant, he's going to say, I'm going to go a step further. I'm going to put this law inside of your hearts, and I'm going to forgive you of your sins. And I'm going to show you just how beautiful this thing is. So at the New Covenant, God spiritually places the law in their hearts. And he reminds his people that they have broken these covenants before. They haven't kept it. Verse 32, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. So God puts this law into their hearts to remind them of all the things that he's promised to them up to this point. And why do they need those reminders? Because they're forgetful. Why do they need these reminders? Because they keep breaking the covenants. But what have we been saying over and over all semester. Who bears the full weight of these covenants? Is it humans or is it God? God. Every single one of these covenants, the full weight of the responsibility of these covenants have fallen on him. That's the only reason why these promises can come true. And that's the beauty of the new covenant, because the forgiveness of sins that were promised here, if that was up to us, what would happen? We would fail every single time. And that's what Jeremiah is saying here. The covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. God puts this law into our hearts that we may be reminded of just how amazing and good he is to us to give us this forgiveness. Then in verse 33, 
I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, I'm going to read these pretty quickly, but I'm going to read a small portion of some verses that Israel has been told over and over throughout their history. Genesis 17.8 And I will give you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Exodus 29.45-46 I will dwell among the people of Israel, and I will be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell with them. I am the Lord their God. Leviticus 26.45 But I will for their sake remember the covenant with their forefathers, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God. I am the Lord. Ezekiel 14.10-11 And they shall bear their punishment. The punishment of the prophet and the punishment of the inquirer shall be alike, that the house of Israel may no more go astray from me, nor defile themselves any more with their transgressions. But they might be my people, and I may be their God, declares the Lord. And then in our passage, Verse 33, I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. This has been the constant refrain that God has been speaking to his people through the covenants. That I am your God. I love you. I'm going to pursue you despite the fact that you keep running away from me. Despite the fact that you keep breaking these covenants. I'm going to keep it for you because of my love for you. The Mosaic Law is now internalized which indicates that God is conforming people to his law. He's bringing them into conformity with his law. And this means that this covenant is a reminder to us that he's making us more and more into the image of God. We're created as image bearers. And what this covenant promises is that he's going to be the one that does that work for us. Again, because if it's up to us, we're going to screw it up left and right. Because we're sinners. We have faults. We will never live up to God's standards without his help. And this covenant promises that he's going to be that help. He's going to be the one that does that. That was the whole goal of the Mosaic Covenant, was to bring God's people into right relationship with Him by showing them how to live. But as we've seen, again, with all these covenants, if the weight of that covenant was dependent on Elijah, or Luke, or me, or Susie, if it was dependent on us, because we are born with sin, we have that sin that we inherit because of the fall, We would fail, but Jesus fulfills every single part of all of these covenants for us. And that should be an encouragement to you and I. Because it shows us that all those reminders that I am your God and you will be my people. It's dependent upon Him. So that's the restoration that the Mosaic Covenant represented. And that's what we are given in the New Covenant. So what does this covenant mean for us? It's good that Jeremiah wrote it down a long time ago. But what does it mean for you and me? Caroline's going to come up and read Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1 to 13, where the writer of Hebrews is going to quote Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34, but he's going to tell us a little bit more about what this means for us. So go ahead and turn there. Page numbers are up there for you. Whenever you're ready, Caroline. Wait, and what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this high priest to also to have something to offer. Now if he were here on earth, he would not be a priest at all. 
Since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law, they serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly beings. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is more excellent than the old covenant hates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete is growing, and growing old is ready to be. Okay, so with the establishment of the covenants in the Old Testament, God was seeking to build a relationship with his people, and this is all for the sake of restoring that broken relationship that we saw all the way back at the fall. Restoration was always the goal, and he specifically works in his covenant people in the Old Testament, which is Israel. But the promises of those covenants were intended for the whole world, to the nations. And the new covenant prepares the way for that to happen. The new covenant prepares the way for the Messiah to come and fulfill all these things. And the writer of Hebrews touches on this imagery. He talks about the priesthood and how in the Old Testament the priests were the ones that were responsible for making sacrifices for people's sins. And the book of Hebrews is actually super interesting. If you go and read it, the whole book is about how Jesus is better than all that other stuff. Like all that other stuff, it was good and it served its purpose, but Jesus is way better. So he talks about the priesthood here. He's saying that the priests, they served as a copy and shadow of heavenly things. These old covenants promises, they were just building the puzzle for us, setting us up to receive the Messiah. In Hebrews, we get a detailed explanation of one of these pictures. Again, the priesthood pointed us towards the great high priest, who is Jesus, the one whose sacrifice paid for our sins once and for all, as opposed to the priest who had to go and do it every single time. I tell you all this all the time because I think it's a helpful illustration. As an ordained minister, I am glad I don't have to kill an animal on y'all's behalf. I'm glad I don't have to do that. It's bloody. It's gross. I'm sure y'all would probably think that'd be maybe fun if I did that. But, but I'm glad... That that is not a part of my job description. I'm glad that that was Jesus' job description. And that he only had to do that one time, as opposed to the priest that had to keep doing it over and over. And when the writer of Hebrews in verses 6 and 7 says, the covenant that he mediates is better, since it's enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, it, there would have been no occasion for a second. What he means here is actually pretty complex, but it's rather simple at the same time. God's moral law has not been abolished. We know that. Jesus tells us that in Matthew 5, 17, and 18 when he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
For truly I say to you that until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it's all been accomplished. So the old covenants, they're not just unnecessary for us anymore. When he says faultless, he simply means incomplete. Like the picture hasn't been fully painted for us. These covenants are, as one writer says, they were preparatory in nature. They're preparing us for the big picture. And the new covenant is the fulfillment of the covenant promises for you and I. So I want you to think about it this way. I want you to imagine you're on a boat. And this boat starts taking on water. And when a boat takes on water, what happens? It starts to sink. Now you're treading water, trying to survive. And then another boat comes and they throw that rescue ring to you. And what do you do? You grab onto that rescue ring because it's going to give you life. It's going to save you. Now, when the boat pulls up and says, let's get you on the boat, you don't look at the person on the boat and says, it's okay. I have a rescue ring. Like, I'm good. I don't need the boat. That's foolish. The rescue ring was meant to prepare you to get you to the bigger rescue. As we conclude the covenants tonight, all the covenants, when we look at the covenant of redemption, the covenant of works, the covenant of grace, the covenants that were made with David and with Abraham and Moses, okay, all of these covenants were meant to be just like that rescue ring. God gave those things to us so that we might start to put together the full picture, that we might eventually see the full rescue plan that was promised before the fall happened. At the coming of Jesus, the new covenant is inaugurated, redemption is secured, and the promised restoration for you and me has begun. So as we end tonight, we're going to fly through this, but I want you to see the connection between all of these covenants. And now we get the new covenant, and it brings it all together for us. So the covenant of redemption, there's a promise, a pursuit, and rescue. Who is the source of that promise? Christ. He's the one that came to rescue us. The covenant of works, there's an establishment of relationships and standards. Who fulfills those standards? Jesus does. The covenant of grace, there's a provision of undeserved mercy for unfulfilled standards. Jesus provides that mercy on the cross for us. The covenant with Noah, there is still punishment due for sins. Who takes that punishment upon himself? Christ does. God's covenant with Abraham. There's a promised land for God's people. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection secures our way to the eternal promised land in heaven. Covenant with Moses. There's a way to live in right relationship with God. Jesus shows us how to do it. In fact, he's the only one that ever did it perfectly. And unless somebody did it perfectly, then we wouldn't have salvation. God's covenant with David. There's a need for someone to rule over us. Jesus is that true king who rules over our hearts. And lastly, the new covenant, there's a full promise of forgiveness of sins. And in Jesus, he takes our sins and gives us his righteousness. It wouldn't have been enough for him to simply just take our sins away because we would have gone right back to them. But he gives us his righteousness. He gives us his perfect record. And that's what the new covenant is saying. I will forgive their sins. I will remember their iniquity no more. That means that you should find great comfort in what Christ has done for you. You don't have to live in this anxiety of, oh, well, it was, was Christ's work enough for me? What do I need to do? No, we, we look to the new covenant and say, there's a promise there. He's promised to forgive me of my sins. I'm going to rest in that. I'm going to trust in that. Jeremiah's readers were haunted by their former sins, and they were grieved by the indwelling sin in our hearts, just like we do. 
But just as they look towards this bigger realization of the new covenant promises, you and I, we get to look towards eternity. We get to look at the promise that Jesus says, I'm coming back. And that gives us hope for the day. That gives us hope to look at our lives and say, yes, I'm struggling with this sin, but thanks be to God that he shows me mercy. Thanks be to God that Christ is the one that fulfills this covenant for me. Because the ultimate reward of this covenant is, again, that he would forgive our iniquity and that he would remember our sins no more. That's what all these covenants have been pointing us towards. And tonight we get the cherry on top with the new covenant. So let me pray for us. And then we'll go to small groups. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful promise. We thank you. As deep and intense as this covenant promise is, Lord, it is a beautiful one. And it is a glorious one. And we thank you so much that that is what we get to rest in. Not in our works, but rather the work of Jesus on the cross. Pray that you would help us to better understand just how amazing this is and what it means for us as we go to our small groups. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. We hope this has been helpful for you. Please keep an ear out for more audio upcoming from WYM.